0: I didn't really know what investment banking was, to be perfectly honest. I was super ambitious. Uh, I googled, you know, hardest jobs to get into, like, <laughs> hi- like <laughs> highest, I literally highest paid, and I was like trying to understand what they were, and then I applied to things like investment banking, um, and I got, yeah, I got offers, because I, w- I was really ambitious.
1: Hey everyone, this is Irina. So last week I had one of those days where I felt quite doubtful of myself and I somewhat felt that my confidence was dropping which made me a bit anxious and angry because the reason behind it wasn't really significant. So I spent the next day having back-to-back meetings with some of the best tech leaders and asked all of them how they dealt with doubt and confidence. And one thing I got reminded of is that I'm not alone, that even the most driven and successful people share these moments and it also showed me that there are ways to deal with those insecurities. My day ended with me feeling thousand times better i stocked up on energy and boosted my ambition through everything that i do i constantly get to the same point it's all about education and incredible role models and i really want you to feel as uplifted as i do so i'm sharing all these conversations with the best female leaders in tech in here the person you just heard at the beginning of the episode was Sarah Al Husseini. She's the co founder and CEO of Ultimate AI, and that is a company that helps businesses like Zalando, Telia, and Finnair scale their customer service with artificial intelligence. And as you might have noticed, she really radiates ambition. I've been dabbling quite a bit lately with the concept of ambition. Often when I talk to female leaders and ask them if they're ambitious, they oftentimes say no or they go into a doubtful maybe. And that comes from some of the most ambitious people I've encountered. One reason for that is unfortunately that ambition has been tacked with what we might consider male characteristics, like pushing aggressively towards a goal and not giving in at all to the surrounding environment. But when a woman takes up that kind of attitude, she quickly becomes bossy, pushy or cold. And that's really not what ambition is about. At The Family, we strongly believe that ambition can be taught. It's all about having the right mindset. And how do you leverage the right mindset? Two things, education and incredible role models. And that's what this podcast is all about. Thank you for listening and welcome to The Sistership Podcast. As Sarah mentioned before, she started out in investment banking, an environment that tends to be quite male-dominated. So how do you deal with these surroundings?
0: It was my first job so you are obviously at your most insecure and (laughs) inexperienced. Um, It is very male dominated, so you're also hyper aware that you're a woman. Um, But I think when you're in such a high pressured environment with really, really high expectations, you kind of have no choice, you just have to perform. So, and I think, I mean, we we talked a lot um, in the previous talk about leadership, and it's a very very similar thing like you have no choice you have th- people that rely on you to do something and you have a team that relies on you or people that rely on you to make decisions and even if you feel self-doubt or self-conscious you yeah you have no choice but to perform and i think when you throw yourself into those sorts of situations that's the best way to learn how to be a leader
1: yeah woman or not yeah And you told me when we chatted before that the toughest decision that you ever made career-wise was deciding to leave investment banking, which was, I guess, a secure job that everybody could understand and join tech because most of your close surrounding didn't understand it or didn't support it.
0: Yeah, so investment banking is a very um, closed community. It's a very tough uh, industry to break into. Uh, whether you're a woman or not, again, so it's a very tough industry to break into. And once you're in, and you're working very, very hard, um, the pe- you're not encouraged to, let's say, quit your job cold turkey and try and figure something out. You know, Something interesting, something like startups, which sounds so vague and so uncertain. Um, investment banking is very certain. So, yeah, so that was really scary. That was, a big risk that I took because up to that point in my life, I'd always achieved very, according to very clear criteria. So, you know, grades in school or getting an internship or getting a really good job and then succeeding in that job. It's always very straightforward. So when you quit your job and try and figure out what you want to do, no, there's no metrics for that. So that was the hardest thing, yeah, career-wise that I've ever done.
1: How did you deal with self-doubt in that situation? I mean, it's not easy when you have your whole close surrounding telling you that's not a good idea or that's not something that is smar- a smart decision to do.
0: Yeah, there's so many ways that you deal with it. Um, when One thing definitely is that you fake it until you make it. So, you go to events like this. I mean, I did the exact same thing. I was in your shoes. I did even more <laughs> than this. Um, and you hear people speak, and then you mimic the language that they use next time you speak to somebody else, <laughs> and it sounds like you're in, suddenly you're in. Um, and yeah, And the more you do it, the better you get at it. So I would say, faking it until you make it, surround yourself with good people who are confident in you, and then, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Like, you have no choice. If you're ambitious and you want to get somewhere, you kind of just have to force yourself into those situations, and then you can be nervous,
1: you know, like, outside. So Since so we are talking about ambition, yeah. do you regard yourself as ambitious? Yes, definitely. Where do you think that ambition comes from?
0: It's hard to say, um, when you've always been a certain way, and it's such a core part of your personality. There's a lot of different things, but it's always your family and your upbringing. Um, for me personally, my parents were immigrants to the UK, so they're Iraqi-Iranian, and they had a lot, and then they didn't have anything, and then they had to make everything um, from scratch. So I think when you grow up in an environment where you're very much aware that you can make anything, um, but you have to make it from scratch, and it's all due to your hard work, and you can really like make your place in society uh, all by yourself, then yeah, then I think that can give you a certain sense of strength or a certain foundation that yeah, that makes you push yourself.
1: So on the one hand, it was your parents. Yeah. And then the second thing you've told me is that you were a part of a girls' school, an environment where I suppose uh, sciences and math and economics and things like that weren't as encouraged, or tech as well. Uh, we chatted quite a bit on this. So how did you uh, figure out that you wanted to go in a business direction from coming from an environment that didn't maybe encourage that path? Yeah. So
0: this yeah, so this was actually uh, a downfall to my education, so in the u k going to girls only or boys' only school is super common like loads of people go to single sex schools uh, up until the age of eighteen, which is what I did, um, <laughs> which is t- totally normal um, but yeah. <laughs> but uh single sex schools are great, but they do um Yeah, you do study subjects that might be more traditional uh, to your gender. So obviously you study maths and science and economics was even on the table, but you definitely don't study technology. And I can guarantee you every single person that came out of that school or any of our sister schools, myself included, will not have any sort of background in technology, which means that you can't go to university for technology, which means that suddenly you're locked out of this really exciting industry and i would say that there's a lot of gatekeepers out there that say that you can't break in or you can't found something or you can't whatever if you don't have a technical background and that's not true like you still learn after school yeah so how did you find your way towards
1: business from there
0: um yeah honestly like i said i I faked it till i made it so i went to at events, I made friends with founders. I I did this. I mean, one thing which was really cool was uh, there's an I did the I got this uh, scholarship through this thing called Code First Girls in London, uh, where I learned to code at Twitter. So I was Twitter's office was like a ten-minute walk from my office in London. So I used to like sneak out um, at six thirty, do like these really intensive co- like coding things with all the Twitter engineers, and then like run back at eight thirty to finish. Um, my work but anyway when you immerse yourself in that and you start to build a network in that space um, it's more organic people start introducing you to things you meet people organically and then you
1: just learn about an industry and suddenly you're part of it but at the end of the day it's you personally that has to go out there and figure it out and try it out to know where you can go and yeah (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) so after deciding to get out of investment banking and joining in the tech industry you met a couple of very interesting guys that at uh, the certain point where you decided to join them were seven developers sitting in one room yeah they, yeah so when i joined ultimate um it was
0: like <laughs> just a technical team so the were three original like co-founders they all grew up in the same small town in finland I always, always make fun of Finland for having small towns, but like w- it's fine. It's probably not that small, but it's called Uusvaakula. It's like in the center of Finland. They grew up together from kindergarten. They went to the same technical university, and then they built something, and it and it worked really well. And they had like quite a lot of big name clients, I, inexplicably almost. But they, yeah, they were a pure technical team. Like they were seven guys sitting in this office in Tampere, with no like. When you can sense um, that there's this huge gap of capability in terms of w- whatever it is that I do as COO, whether it's like marketing or creating the brand or like recruiting or positioning yourself versus competitors or fundraising, um, you can just tell that you add value. So I got very lucky yeah, with the team that I joined and the fact that they were so open as well to the contribution that I could make very early on. Yeah.
1: So what, ad- what attracted you to join 7 Geeky Guys? Uh, the, the founders,
0: yeah, the founders,
1: um, they
0: are very open. So when you're joining a very early company, it's, it's hard because to find the right team for you. Team is super important. When it's just a few people in a room and you're gonna be working together like crazy to build a company out of nothing, um, it's really important that the people, you trust each other, you can rely on each other, and that you think everybody is super smart. Like you all think that you're very lucky to be in this room uh, with such incredible people. So yeah, when you meet people like that and you can see how open they are to working with you, um, yeah, like you have to take that opportunity.
1: You guys are growing quite well right now, and you raised a substantial seed round that uh, is going to bring you now to the next stage. Uh Um, You were part of the fundraising and the discussions. What were the obstacles that you encountered during the process?
0: Um, With
1: fundraising,
0: I mean, the first obstacle that we encountered was our lack of organization. So, yeah, you learn how to do these things. So yeah, that was the first obstacle. The second obstacle was you get better at telling your story the more often people ask. Um, So by the end of it, you're like a pro. You are absolutely incredible. You know the answer to everything. You have all the right documents, as in you're just miles ahead of you a month ago. Um, So as long as you haven't started with your best VCs right at the beginning (laughs) and then burnt them, yeah. That's it. that will work out,
1: basically just keep going at it. As much as uh, you need to make sure that VCs are attracted to your idea and convince them to invest, you also need to take a look at them because it's a long-term relationship that you're building. What was the, for you guys important to look at when you approached VCs? Uh,
0: yeah, there's multiple things do they, like can they work with you? Because when you're accepting people at the seed stage and you're really, you know, they, they can sometimes be on your board or you'll work very closely with them, their opinions matter. Um, so you have to be sure that you can work with them, uh, that they'll be with you in good times and bad times, um, that you have the trust and then you have all the obvious ones. Do they have deep pockets? Do they have uh, lots of really cool other portfolio companies that you could partner with or sell to? Um, are they in the right geography for you? So are they close to where you are? There's no point raising from like, a French VC if you're not in France or like have an ambition
1: to go there. So yeah, that's multiple different things, yeah. So you are part of a company from the start-up, let's say, so you're now in the position where you have to build relationships, build communities in one way or the other. Have you personally experienced gender bias in any of the cases that you've uh, encountered with Ultimate AI?
0: Yes, of course, everybody experiences gender bias. There's, you can't even tell, okay, so half the gender bias is probably there. But half the gender bias might even be in your head, as in you might be hyper aware that you are a woman going into the meet, the only woman. You might be hyper aware that you're young, um, you might be hyper aware that you have really long hair and it like is getting in your face, and you're flicking it, and now you're like you know being so feminine. So half of it, <laughs> so I don't like so half of it might be in your head. So you have to power through that half, and you have to just be really really confident, and just assume that people like people will only see what you tell them to see. So if you tell them that you're super confident, and you and I know this sounds like wishful thinking, but it's true. If you tell them that you are the best startup at doing what you're doing by far, and your technology is by far the best, and the team you're hiring is by far the best, then they'll believe you because they don't know anything else. So yeah, so I would say you, you will, ex- you will encounter bad people, whether that's for gender reasons or race reasons or whatever. You can't avoid that. But you can avoid um, any sort of fear that you might have or any sort of uh, insecurity that you might have about being who you are by just kind of powering through it.
1: So where do you draw courage in situations where you feel insecure or doubtful or you experience gender bias? In the
0: moment, yeah, I think, honestly, it's, you might feel like, in reality, you might feel not very courageous on the inside, but on the outside, you don't really have a choice. Like, you have to stand up for yourself. You're also, like, often, I mean, if we're talking from an ultimate AI context, I'm often representing the company, as in I'm not just there as myself. I don't have the excuse of, like, being, you know, like giving in in this situation or letting someone make me feel bad. Like, I have a responsibility to my team, who are y- or, you know, to the company or to the mission that we're trying to bring to, yeah, to be really strong and to be really decisive. So, I think, yeah, it's honestly just the sensation that you don't have any choice, you just have to do
1: it. You are part of the co-founding team, which is comprised of guys. Yeah. <laughs> how important is it or how active are they in supporting you as a woman and uh, having a balance of uh, yeah, female-male leadership there? Yeah, they're super, super supportive. Um, I remember when we spoke about this
0: as well on the phone, it was, yeah, I basically explained to you, whoa. Uh, the, like the guys, they're from Finland. Um, it's a Nordic company they are w- they have way less gender biases than I do growing up in the u k definitely so there's there's there is a culture that I was lucky to come into, which was very kind of gender neutral and they didn't really have the biases that I expected people to have um, but then on top of that, they're just really nice, very humble people and when you work with <laughs> humble people that they they listen to you and, and as long as you uh Like, you put a lot of work into your thoughts and your research and then what you want to say. What you're going to say is probably going to be really valuable. So they're just, yeah, they're grateful for your
1: contribution. If you could go back in time and talk to your 16-year-old self, what kind of advice would you give her? Believe
0: in yourself more, be more confident, and I'd also say just, just don't worry. Like, it it will all work out, Um, yeah, don't stress so much.
1: Thank you so much for listening, everyone. For this episode, we partnered with SAP IO Foundry. That's SAP's strategic business unit that helps the next wave of enterprise software innovation. They help build products, find customers, and change industries by investing in and accelerating startup innovation. In the next episode, we chat with Anya Salazar. She was the managing director of OFEMINA and now the COO OF VICTORY. So stay tuned. If you want to join one of our Sistership events and learn more about the initiative, go to sistership.thefamily.co. Otherwise, follow us on Instagram at Sistership the family, or me personally on Twitter under Irina Nikolovska. Hope to meet you at one of our events in Berlin, Paris or London.